electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome everybody to Last Call. I am Brian Sullivan. A different open tonight because tonight, the biggest bank collapse since the financial crisis and why it might matter to you and your money. We've got full team coverage as always on this rapid implosion all throughout the show. We're going to get to them in a moment. But here's what we know at this hour. Silicon Valley Bank is basically gone, seized by regulators after making explosively bad bets on mortgages and other bonds. Investors likely all but wiped out and depositors may be locked out of getting their money back. The shocking collapse hammering the index. The Dow slumping by more than 1%, nearly 1.5% for the S&P, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq down 1.76%. Now, unsurprisingly, nearly every bank stock in America took a hit, some major hits, and raising the risk of a potential contagion to other parts of the economy and the market. But how about this? Why is this bank which, let's be honest, is little known to most of the public suddenly so important. It's because Silicon Valley Bank is, was, a titan in tech. Half of all U.S. venture capital-backed tech and life sciences companies banked with them. The bank held much of their money. Example, just a short time ago, we learned that Roku has 26% of its total cash and cash equivalents held with SVB. The stock is now sinking after hours. So why is all of this such a problem? Because it may lead to these companies not being able to make payroll. Imagine being a small, mid-sized company and having to tell your employees, sorry, no paycheck this week, our bank failed. That's exactly what's happening. But what exactly happened? All right, in a very basic way, here it is. Silicon Valley Bank took in billions of deposits, much of that from investment firms and startup companies. They use those deposits to buy billions more in bonds and other assets. But as interest rates suddenly soared and venture capital started to stall, many clients pulled many billions out of the bank, leaving their liabilities far in excess of their assets. Assets they could either not sell or had to sell at a loss. One source I spoke with today told me the bank's portfolio when he looked at it was, quote, idiotic, his word. Over the last two days, Wall Street has punished other banks that they perceive to have questionable portfolios that are either heavily exposed to tech, startups, venture capital, crypto, or all the above. And you can see those stocks traded terribly. Those are the numbers just from today. But one very important point before we get to our coverage. Every bank is not created equal. Numerous sources I spoke with today reminded me, very smartly, very calmly, that many banks have little to no exposure to this stuff and ultimately should be fine. But the bottom line right now is that Silicon Valley Bank essentially played financial Russian roulette with client deposits and its investors, clients and employees. And it looks like they are the ones who will ultimately lose. All right, I want to bring in our Deirdre Bosa, who covers tech here and recently spoke with the CEO, CNBC's Hugh Sun on the banking side and CNBC contributor, Herb Greenberg. All right. Thank you all for joining us on Last Call. Deirdre, I want to begin with you. 
because you recently sat down and interviewed Silicon Valley or SBV Financial, the parent company, CEO Greg Becker. And man, he didn't he didn't seem worried at all. He didn't seem worried at all. This was only a few weeks ago, weeks ago, about six weeks ago, Brian. And, you know, they have such interesting, such deep data into the health of startups and the tech ecosystem because they loan to so many of them and they hold so many of their deposits. He actually expected things to get better this year. Have a listen. What we are expecting to see in 23 first half, actually in venture capital, actually a little bit more of a decline, even than what we saw in the fourth quarter. But the second half was going to kind of create that, that modest improvement and really set the stage for a better, better 24. So, so we're, we're optimistic because our crystal ball is a little clearer than it was in okay. the third quarter last year. Now, Brian, the environment could have actually, and it could still get better for startups in the second half of the year, although that's less likely given the implosion of Silicon Valley Bank, which is really a backbone of the industry. But that crystal ball he was talking about becoming a little clearer, it's interesting he says that because you were talking about the quality of their assets and their deposits. We're never going to stay in there for long because these are cash-burning startups. They need to use it. Now, a lot of them are in really difficult positions of not being able to pay their bills or payroll. Yeah, certainly is. And, you know, Herb Greenberg, listen, I want want to bring up something you like to look at, which is what the insiders are doing. And that was on, I think, January 24th. On February 27th, the same guy, CEO Greg Becker and some other executives were selling stock. In fact, Becker sold 3.57 million shares of SVB basically a month after that sort of positive take in the Deirdre interview. Now, I want to be clear. This was done under a pre-planned sale program. That's what they will tell us. However, according to Verity Data, which put this together for us, those sale programs and all the executives were put in place not long before those first sales. Your take. I think think, uh, there are plenty of insider uh, selling experts who have over the years opined that uh, 10B51 plans, as those are known, um, can be manipulated. Whether that's the case here, it's unclear. Uh, if you go back and look at well, insider not, By the way, and I want to make it clear, Herb, if not, the timing is pretty impeccable. The, the 10B5, the pre-planned sales plans were put on for the CMO and the CFO and the CEO. And then a few weeks later, or a month or two later, this, these big sales kicked in. Now, I want to be clear, Greg Becker, the CEO, had been pretty active buying and selling. But if you're somebody that's gotten wiped out, you're looking at this going, really? Right. And, and look, if you look at insider, purchase, insider purchases versus insider sales, I went back and looked. I don't think there have been any insider purchases there since 2021. So uh, the sales obviously look suspicious. And the, actually, I think the SEC is so focused right now on 10B51 plans that this will get great scrutiny. As it, as it should. Hugh Sun, you've been doing some great reporting as well on this. Uh, this is a company, and really, I mean, 72 hours ago, I'm not saying everything was okay, There might have been some rumblings at hedge funds, but 48 hours ago, this really began. The spiral on this was one of the quickest we have ever seen. And that's even going back to 2008 and 2009. It's astonishing how fast this unraveled just on uh, your show last night, uh, 24 hours ago. We we said, you know, this looks like it has the makings of a bank run. And that's exactly what happened. One of the new facts that, that came out is a California regulatory filing uh, stated that, you know, on Thursday, SVB saw outflows of $42 billion. This is a staggering amount of, of deposits fleeing. 
and it's approximately one quarter of their whole deposit base. And that happened on Thursday. And that essentially was the death blow, Sully. Yeah, don't say you're sorry. I mean, Herb Greenberg coming back to you. I mean, it is, It is. at, at the end of the day, I'm going to say it's a, it's a bit of a complicated story. I tried to explain it in the open, but this is TV. You got like two minutes at best, which is that, man, this bank was riding high for a long time, and they were getting all kinds of deposits because the startup community was hot, venture community was hot, whatever. Z- interest rates were 0%. If you had to sort of point your finger, and I'm big into blame, but if you had to point your finger mm-hmm. at maybe one thing, I would say it's this massive jump in interest rates. Is it that or was it malfeasance or stupidity? I'm sorry, in this portfolio construction bordering. It's it's the greater fool theory, Brian. Look, we go back on this. I have a friend, Peter Atwater. You may know Peter. I do. He writes a Financial Insights newsletter. And today he had something great on this, really great. And he said, if you look at this, it it. SVB was a highly leveraged, all-in bet on overconfidence. Now, think about that. And if you go back, and you go back to November 2021, it was then that there was, I think it was the head of PE from Apollo was quoted, I think, originally by Bloomberg. I did some stuff on it back then because it wasn't just him. It was a bunch who were looking at private market valuations. And they were saying these were becoming delusional. Now, you know who was on both sides of those transactions is SVB was in there. And so you could argue that was the beginning when they were starting to get loaded up on this. And then you get to the interest rate issue. It looked good. And that's where the greater fool theory comes in, that everybody got sucked in here, all the smart people, everybody who should have known better. And now you're starting to see, you know, the dominoes continue to fall. And Deirdre, again, I tried to set it up, and you live in the Bay Area. I tried to set up for our viewers who may be in Chicago or Miami or Houston, like, who the hell is Silicon Valley Bank and why do I care? This is like a country club bank for, or was, for startups. They claim on their website 50% of U.S. venture-backed tech or health science, like biotech, startups Mm -hmm. bank with them. Take us through the importance of this company in, in maybe not even the Bay Area, but in the startup community writ large. That is a statistic, Brian, that cannot be underestimated. It's one that kind of just is mind-blowing. I mean, you can throw a dart where I am outside of one market in downtown San Francisco and hit a company that has banked or has a loan from Silicon Valley Bank. So the ramifications are massive, and the startup community is figuring out how they're going to be affected. But this is also reaching the public markets. You're hearing companies like Roku and others come out and say that they hold deposits or they have cash at Silicon Valley Bank, and they don't know when they're going to be able to access that. You have other companies coming out as well saying that they don't because no one really knows. This is a bank that has ties all over the tech industry beyond Silicon Valley, beyond San Francisco, all the way to China and Europe. So the the ramifications are going to be huge, as are the fallout. Yeah, it was. And by hey, the Brian, way, can I point out yeah, one thing? Quick, very quickly. Can I, we can I point quick. out one very, very quickly? I just want to point out right now, as 8Ks are being filed, after the close on Friday, as my friend Michelle Leader of Footnote has been flagging us, hundreds, well over 100 8Ks being filed mentioning SIVB, either having impact or not yep. having impact. So it's a place to look right by, now. By the way, perf- perfect timing, Herb, because that's what we got coming up after the break with Bertha Coombs. Or we got it right now, as a matter of fact. And just always remember, folks, and Hugh, put this quote in your, in your next reporting. What did Ernest Hemingway say about bankruptcy? There's two ways to go bankrupt, gradually and then suddenly. 
All right, we're going to have you back on if there are any big developments. All right, right now we just mentioned it. Let's get out of Bertha Coombs. We've been tracking exactly what Herb Greenberg did. It's amazing how it works out, the synergy. Yeah, it is amazing. They've been coming out all afternoon, all sorts of companies, dis- uh, closing their dis- uh their exposure in 8Ks in filings with the SEC. The biggest so far is Roku, the company saying 26% of its cash holdings were there. That's nearly half a million dollars held there, largely uninsured. And Roku says it doesn't know how much of that it's going to be able to recover, but it says it has another nearly one and a half billion, so it should be fine for the next 12 months in terms of liquidity. Looking forward, you also saw Roblox come out saying in its 8K that it has plenty of liquidity, only about five. Five percent of cash and securities held at SVB, and they say it's immaterial even if it doesn't get that money back. Aerospace contractor Rocket Labs disclosing that it has an aggregate balance of about $38 million. That amounts to nearly 8 percent of cash. But again, they don't say this is material. Chimerics, which you may remember, makes a smallpox treatment issuing its AK, saying it has about 250000 in cash which, of course, will be covered by the FDIC. But a few smaller report names in biotech are reporting between 5 and 10 percent, trying to assure investors that this is not going to be a liquidity crunch for them. What is really striking, Brian, is that I've gone through and we've seen about three dozen or more biotech firms going out of their way to say that they don't have any holdings at the bank because SVB was such a big player when it came to biotech and health tech. Well, they're, they're posting these SEC filings because they could be viewed and certainly are in some cases material to those stocks. And you wonder, Bertha, and you feel for the many other private companies that are not public where the employees are wondering, did I get paid today? Will I get paid next week? Because that money is well, locked up. Or one company that yeah. says our deposits are insured. We have 250K. But our security deposit for our office, our landlord put that $3 million at SVP. Yeah, yeah. So they may not get that. Yeah, you got $10 million there. You get 250000 back. You're still short $9,750,000. So Bertha Coombs, thank you. Great reporting. All right, for more color and context into this story, let's welcome in Tasty Trade CEO Tom Sosnoff, also founded Thinkorswim. Some call him the godfather of retail options trading. Tom, Tom it's, good to, it's good to have you on. I mean, you've been a founder. You've been a startup founder of a couple of different companies. I mean, what would you do? First up, before we get into SVB itself, you're building out a company. You got payroll to meet. Things are lean as it is. How would you be reacting as a startup founder to this news? I'd be really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, as you should be, founder, I'm glad you said it because I can't. Yeah, I'd be I'd be very mad. I'd be sitting in the conference room steaming tonight. Um, I think that's how I feel about it. If I, you know, I, I don't know what you can do as a founder. It was pretty hard to see the writing on the wall as of you know basically yesterday. But I, I don't know they had many options. Yeah, what would be as a, as a very successful, super successful founder of multiple companies? Sure. We got people maybe watching right now, probably nursing a cocktail sure. or 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 three. What's the first step you would advise a small startup CEO whose money, by the way, here's the thing, Tom, a lot of these startups, I guarantee you, were contractually obligated to bank with Silicon Valley Bank by their venture capital firms. We can get to that in a minute. What's the first thing these CEOs should do? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that, although we have been backed by um, Silicon Valley private equity firms, and there was never any hooks into any specific banks or anything like that. I mean, it, you know, that's a tough question because I would think that in most cases, 
most of the private equity firms right now um, are sitting on huge, huge amounts of cash just in general. And because they're, because nobody's really done that many deals this mm. year. So I would think that if you have a decent firm and the private equity and a good relationship with your private equity firm, um, a bridge loan or potentially some capital is not going to be that hard to secure, especially for companies. I mean, nobody wants to go back to their investors and say, Hey, this thing took us down. So I, I don't think that that's really going to be the issue. I think good. You know, good founders and good firms with with a fundamentally strong business are going to be just fine. I think the private equity firms are going to come through with various bridge loans. I think they're going to be okay in that sense. I really, I mean, the likelihood of depositors getting all their money back is pretty close to 100%. I, 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 investors, I hope you're is right. pretty close to zero. But depositors, you know, if you go back to 2008, mostly everybody got their money back and there was like 500 banks. So I think you're talking about, you know, a pretty good chance of 100% but let's, getting 100% of your deposits back. Fair enough. And let's hope you are right. I want to talk about the markets okay. in general, sure. because you could talk to people and say, you know, all day long on CNBC, excellent coverage. Is it systemic? Is it not? I'd like to hear your opinion on that. But I want to yeah. I want to get your opinion on something somebody fairly important in the government today said, because in this environment, in this environment where people are nervous and it's a sell first, buy later kind of market. You would agree with that, I think. Language matters. And the Treasury Secretary of the United States, Janet Yellen, today said this. I will just say you, you mentioned Silicon Valley Bank. I, there um, are recent developments that concern a few banks that I'm monitoring very carefully. And when banks experience financial losses, it is and should be a matter of concern. Uh, Tom, I don't know about you. I don't want to overreact. That a few banks, banks, plural. When she said that, I had traders pinging me saying, really? You just basically tipped off the market that it may not just be this one bank. You know, it, it's so weird, Brian. After I, I, I traded, you know, from the crash of 87 all the way through 2008 and 2020 and now, you know, I just don't, I kind of, I feel very differently about this. And I do think it's probably contained to a few banks. And um, I'm not suggesting that this is an overreaction by the market, but I do think that it's probably contained. And based on what we saw today, volume-wise in the markets, especially derivatives markets, I mean, I think it was the most active day in yeah. years in the VIX, maybe ever. And in the SPX, I think it was the busiest day ever. When you see that kind of hedge type, fear type activity, you know, you're much closer yeah. to a capitulation than you are to best, anything else. Best guess what happens Monday morning? Very quickly, please. Um, best guess at this point, you know, um, I would think that there's a little bit of fall through, but I think the market, you know, remember next week's triple witching. So you tend to get some positive energy. March triple witching mm -hmm. is the okay. most bullish of all 12 expiration cycles. So I think you're looking next week potentially at a, at a pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to go out on a limb. You might have seen a bottom today. I like I like the optimism. And if they find a buyer over the weekend, that could add a little juice to that options action. Tom Sosnoff, love getting your yep. take. Have a great Friday. Thank you very much. That could be very bullish next week, folks. They find a buyer Sunday night. Options. All right. On deck. The big bank blow up. Not all that is happening tonight. We're also going to hit the rock and the hard place the Biden administration is in. 
over a multi-billion dollar oil project. Plus, remember that story that you soon may be able to gamble on wrestling? Why one executive is throwing stone cold water on that idea. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. We've got more in the Silicon Valley Bank blow up in a bit, but that is not all that is going on in the world of business. We have a developing story in the oil sector. By Monday, we should, should also know about a massive ruling from President Biden on oil. He will accept, reject, or accept only in part the approval to build a new drilling site in far north Alaska. The ConocoPhillips project is known as Willow. It is way up far north in Alaska. It would be an $8 billion investment at least, and produce about 600 million barrels of over a 30-year lifespan. President Biden, of course, has said he wants American oil companies to drill for more oil to help lower gas prices. And this Willow project could be a big part of that. The deadline for a decision is technically tonight, and we, if we don't get one tonight, we should have one by Monday. Now, there are three possible outcomes here. Number one, President approves the full project. That would be very good for ConocoPhillips. Two, the president rejects the project out of hand, likely citing environmental or social justice concerns. By the way, even though the Bureau of Land Management and some of the local indigenous people of the area fully support it. Or three, the president approves only part of the project. ConocoPhillips told us they need at least three drilling sites to be approved for the project to make sense and thus make money and move forward. Now, tonight, there is a published report on Bloomberg that the administration will approve the project with three drilling sites, meaning it would go ahead. And that would be a huge win for ConocoPhillips and most of the people of Alaska. It would also no doubt anger many of the president's more environmentally focused voters who will feel betrayed that the president is approving a massive new oil project. Now, for their part, ConocoPhillips told us within this hour that they have no knowledge of any decision yet. We should know for certain either way tonight or in a few days. All right. Speaking of new news, now to an update to a story we first brought you on Wednesday about the WWE wrestling trying to get gaming regulators to approve gambling on scripted wrestling matches. Contessa Brewer covers gambling for us at CNBC. Contessa, are your sources betting on the fact this could happen? 
it's more like they're betting it doesn't happen. I mean, it's clear why WWE, Brian, might want it. We can see from sports that it increases fan engagement, or, or maybe it's just about driving up the selling price. At any rate, the gaming regulators are pushing back, and they're doing it hard. Colorado says none of its regulators ever spoke with the WWE about approving bets. Massachusetts just launched mobile sports betting today, and the Gaming Commission helpfully pointed out the WWE is not an approved sports league. How's that for clarification? Michigan regulators went so far as to suggest that if the WWE wants gambling approval, it just might try working with the gaming industry before bringing any proposal to the table. And how does the gaming industry feel about it? Well, I asked BetMGM CEO Adam Greenblatt at the iGaming Next conference in New York City. Would you be interested in taking betting on WWE? NFW. <laughs> How's that for a smackdown? FanDuel, the nation's market leader in sports betting, told me it is highly unlikely it would ever accept a bet on WWE. Brian. What does NFW mean, Contessa? Well, it's a joke. if I'm you don't on. know, I'm you should on. Google it. What? <laughs> what, okay, what about the Oscars? Here's the point that Alex Sherman made in his piece. People bet on the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards, like there's some, you know, people with like a briefcase that's locked up. The outcome is known, but you can still bet on, you know, who's going to win an Oscar. You can especially do that illegally, but there are seven states that allow some Oscar betting. New Jersey and Indiana, for instance, allow it, but they don't permit live betting, like while the Oscars are going on. And there are limits on how much you can wager in those two states. But look, the Oscars is once a year. It's limited states. It is heavily scrutinized by gaming regulators. WWE has Raw on what? Mondays, SmackDown on Fridays. I sound like I watch a lot of wrestling, right? How many matches is that? Then you've got pay-per-view. I mean, this is a full sporting calendar of scripted events here where some people not only know the outcome, I would say maybe a lot, but then mm. there are some that determine the outcome. A slew of industry insiders and investors say, look, that would just be crazy when the whole legal industry is focused on the integrity of wagering, the integrity of sport. It would be too much to take a risk with WWE. That's what next, they're telling me. I think next time we do this story, we should get Brett, former wrestler Bret Hart on. And any wrestling fan who's watching knows exactly what I'm referring to, the Montreal something. Screw job. The Montreal screw job. I mean, like, would betting like prevent... You. Yeah, right, exactly. Contessa, thank you. All right, in the weeks leading up to the implosion of Silicon Valley Bank, top executives selling millions in stock up next. We'll speak with a very important member of Congress about it. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Now to something you're only going to see here on Last Call. And it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. 
Today's collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is naturally sending depositors probably into a bit of a panic tonight, many of whom may be calling the FDIC to make sure they can get up to $250,000 of their money back. That's the amount that's insured. Now, the FDIC gives a special phone number for anybody with more than that in deposits. The number, if you care, 866-799-0959. Jenny. So we couldn't help but wonder what happens if you actually call that number. So we did. We got this. Thank you for calling the FDIC as a receiver of Silicon Valley Bank. To ensure the highest level of customer service, this call may be monitored and recorded. Please continue to hold and an agent will answer your phone call as soon as possible. We appreciate your patience. Currently, all of our representatives are busy working with other customers. Your call is very important to us. A representative will be with you shortly. That's good. Representative is going to be with us shortly. The problem is... um... We've now been on that call for five hours. We actually made that call at what, guys? Like about 2.15, 2.30 this afternoon. Listen listen to some really tedious waiting music on loop. As of right now, five hours in, nobody has answered. We will keep waiting. In fact, if they do answer, I'm not sure what we're going to say, but we'll find out. But not exactly reassuring for any of the depositors twisting in the rim right now. So five hours in on the FDIC hotline. And if you're on the radio, I'm doing the air quote thing. All right, with so many questions swirling around the safety of bank deposits right now, we wanted to speak with one of the lawmakers tasked with protecting your money. That is Republican Representative Brian Stile of Wisconsin. He is on the House Financial Services Committee and the Subcommittee on Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets. Uh, Congressman Stile, thank you very much for coming on. I want to ask you first about a recent tweet from billionaire investor Bill Ackman. Now, you might have seen it. Bill Ackman wrote, quote, the failure of SVB Financial at Silicon Valley Bank could destroy an important long-term driver of the economy as VC-backed companies rely on SVB loans and holdings for their operating cash. Basically said a dilutive government-preferred bailout should be considered. Should the federal government bail out SVB Financial? I don't think we're at a period of time where we should be looking at bailouts. The the culmination of events that led to this problem with SBV uh, is pretty unique and distinct to their business practices. I'd say the one thing uh, that is consistent with that occurred with SBV that's occurring with all of our financial institutions is the impact that these significantly increased interest rates are having across the economy. That clearly played a key role here. I think, if anything, lawmakers need to walk away with this as a reminder that we need to get inflation under control to make sure that we don't have other shocks throughout our economy. Well, I was going to ask you that, and I hate this idea of political blame because it's pretty much all you see on a lot of TV these days. It's their fault. No, it's their fault, and that's pretty much it. Um, But listen, I I do this data, their balance sheet was publicly available. There were hedge funds that that were going against it. Where was the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? Where was the Federal Reserve? I mean, does, does, does Jay Powell or Rohit Chopra, who runs the, the CFPB, or even Janet Yellen, need to lose their job? Well, the, the, the key bank regulators in this space is going to be the, the Federal Reserve in the state of California. It's a state-chartered bank in this case. I don't know that what we're going to find when we get in there. The vast majority of our banks across the United States are well-capitalized. I think if we learn anything in the short term here and the quick look back is that this bank was clearly highly concentrated in one specific key sector, VC. And then the culmination and combining that 
with the culmination of quickly rising interest rates, which we haven't really seen in this way in decades. That's why I brought up the Treasury Secretary. She's not a bank regulator, but at the same time, inflation here and around the world is soaring, A, because of supply chain issues and COVID, we get it, but massive amounts of stimulus throwing gasoline on that fire, not at the beginning of COVID, we understand that, but even in 2021, still stimulating, 0% interest rates, inflation is transitory. Everything that was wrong, we now know, by the way, a lot of smart people knew then that it was going to be wrong and they kept stimulating. Now we've got rates that are going crazy and that's probably what was the freight train that ran over arguably a, a terrible balance sheet. Without a doubt, and that's where the political accountability needs to be. I think we saw two key things. One, the Fed came to the table way too late with, to, write, to raise interest rates and try to get ahead of this. But it's really the reckless policies that we saw in Washington coming out of the pandemic that really drove this, a culmination of reckless spending, bad energy policies and labor policies, which we've allowed far too many people to still find themselves on the sidelines. To right-size this, you got to do that in reverse. you got to get control of reckless spending in Washington. you got to have energy policies that unleash American energy. Big decision coming yet today uh, as mm. it relates to Alaska. And then we got to get labor policies right-sized so that people who are still finding themselves on the sidelines, we can help those people get back to work. Those three things yeah. would do a long, long way to get inflation back under control. Yeah, a lot of rich investors getting hurt here, but a lot of just regular great Wisconsin folks, by the way, hi, Mars Cheese Castle. Miss you guys. Uh, I'll stop That's in. right in the district I, in I, Kenosha I, County. Of course. <laughs> I know. Congressman, come on. I, I, I got it. I love the stop right near Uline. Uh, Congressman, thank you very much. They're getting those people are getting hurt by inflation the most. Congressman Brian style. Thank you. All right, today's Silicon Valley bank collapse has rocked the West Coast banking community. But 23 years ago tonight, the markets were on the brink of a different meltdown. So let's go back in time to March 10th, 2000. The Nasdaq peaked. That was right before the dot-com bubble burst. That was the peak tonight in 2000. The worst stock market crashes in history, at least in 70 years. By October of 2002, the tech-heavy index had lost nearly 80 percent of its value wiping out trillions of dollars and leaving sock puppet mascots by the side of the road. Crash left the graveyard of dot-com companies, including the aforementioned Pet.com, eToys, and Boo.com. As for the NASDAQ, it would take 15 years for the index to regain all of its losses. 23 years ago. We're old. All right, still ahead, the rapidly expanding fallout from Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. So just how far might it spread, if at all, around the American economy and your money? That's next. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Thanks for joining us or this Friday evening or the afternoon out west. Our breaking coverage of today's Silicon Valley Bank implosion continues and the financial blast radius really expanding by the hour. One of the biggest questions you may have is how, if any, more pain this could cause to the already beaten down tech industry. After all, this bank did business with or held accounts for half of U.S. venture-backed startups in tech or health science. That's why this is such a bigger story than it may seem. Meta reportedly planning another round of major layoffs. In addition to the 11,000 jobs already cut in the past year, And almost no tech company has been safe. Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, Salesforce, all announcing layoffs this year. The question is, well, what's happening with Silicon Valley Bank 
pour gasoline on what has already been a burning tech fire. Let's take it to our panel tonight. CNBC contributor Joanne Littman of Yale University, along with RSE Venture CEO and former guest Shark on Shark Tank, Matt Higgins. Uh, Joanne, I've, I've tried, probably failed, but I've tried to put this story into perspective. This is not some large regional bank that's got some problems and therefore it'll be fine. This was essentially the bank. This was the bank for technology. We don't know if this bank is going to survive. It's going to be bought or it's going to be completely shut down over the weekend. Is there a larger story here? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I'm so glad you're bringing up this point because I'm so sick and tired. I've been scrolling through the headlines all day and it's all about the banks and the banking industry and what's going on with the financial system. When in fact, the real story here is going to end up being what is going on in Silicon Valley? What is going to be the impact on the customers of this bank? And not only the customers of this bank, but the entire chain. When you look at the supply chain of where they are going, you know, for where with the chain reaction that, that could result. And we're going to see this, I think, very, very um, quickly. I mean, as you mentioned, half the startups run through this bank. Uh, we're hearing about Roku. We're going to hear about a lot of others, I am sure. Uh, by Monday. And then there's this crazy amount, 87% of the deposits apparently were uninsured. So this FDIC bailout is not going to help the vast majority of these customers. So I think the, yeah. the the question, your 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 basic question is, yeah, I mean, it's already, we already have the big tech guys who are really skittish. And this is just going to you know, add insult to injury. I'm sure the venture capitalists, Matt, you know, they bear some issues. They probably forced their companies to, to bank with SVB. There's probably a lot of very cozy relationships we're going to find out about over the next couple of days and weeks. But talk to us also about the macro role. of the. I agree. Silicon Valley Bank, I told at the beginning of the show, one of my sources said their portfolio was, quote, idiotic. That was his words. But, hey, you keep interest rates at zero percent. You make money free for two years. What the hell do you expect is going to happen? Well, I mean, hindsight is Heck. 2020. I don't think a VCs forced any of those founders to take that money. But the reality is that Silicon Valley Bank took a very paternalistic approach to investing in this sector. Very aggressive. What's not being talked about, not only do they have you know payroll proceeds, right? There's also lines of credit that these startups were counting on in determining their runway. They're thinking, hey, I got a year's worth of cash to get through the you know, the recession, and then they wake up today and that that line is gone. <clears throat> you have founders who had, you know, mortgages with the company and they had their own personal lines of credit. Mm -hmm. So the, here's, the, here's the reality. This is going to make FTX look like child's play. This is a massive what? economic Matt, issue for the economy. Real, real yes. FTX, $100 billion or whatever it was. It looks yeah, like a legend. And the, that was com allegedly, allegedly complete, pretty much complete fraud. No, when I so I'm not talking about the uh, the the motive. I'm talking about the economic consequence. You're talking about Got jobs Got throughout all these different companies throughout America. You're talking about boards of directors who are meeting through the weekend trying to figure out what are we going to do to make payroll. I'm talking about economic consequences. Look, when you're in crypto, you conceive that maybe it's going to zero. You don't expect you know that to happen with your bank. So take us through before we go back to Joanne, Matt. Follow up on your on your own point. How do you see this sort of waterfall flowing? 
I think there's a lot. I'm feeling it already. Let's just look at my my very unscientific study of companies that are in my portfolio that I'm talking to. I'm seeing the the scrambling already. I'm seeing around, you know, 60% are communicating with their investors and letting everyone know, hey, we're okay. We have limited exposure. And then I'm hearing 40% say nothing. And you know, when you're in a crisis like this and somebody's not communicating, they have a real problem. So I have case studies already where someone has all their funds in, in the bank and they can't make payroll. And you have other companies out there, check out camp.com, VC funded company. They decide to say everything is 40% off because, you know, and they created a code called bank run. So some of them are taking it with a sense of humor, but the bottom line is significant economic impact, significant retrenchment, and probably companies are going to go under unless somebody steps in right away. Well, I'll, I'll get, I, listen, it's Friday night here, Friday afternoon out West. Hi, California, by the way, just saying hi. Um, Let's do a little good news, Joanne. I know there's not a lot here, except would you agree it's probably good news that this is all happening on a Friday, that it's not Tuesday or Wednesday right now where the market's open tomorrow and the next day. Regulators have the weekend to try to find a buyer for SVB financial assets. Those two days may, like in 2008, right, we could take a breath. We can re- try, try to relax a bit and calm this down. Yeah. So not only is that good news, I'm going to give you another piece of good news. because yes. I do think there is a potential silver lining here, which is maybe this will lead to some culture change, much needed culture change in Silicon Valley. One of your earlier guests, um, I believe, was talking about the greater fool theory. And I believe the word he used, I don't know if it's delusional. Yes, it was delusional and maybe idiotic as well. Look, for years, we've had this situation. Money has been way too easy to come by. And also, I'm sorry, Silicon Valley bro culture is so insular and it has led to so many losers, right? I mean, we work, obviously, but mm. lots, so, so many of these losers. And you know what? This entire situation kind of reminds me, you went back to t- 2001. I covered that. I covered the financial crisis in 2008. And if you recall The joke on Wall Street back then was when Lehman Brothers failed, if it had been Lehman's sisters, they never would have gone under. And I got to say, there is something to be said for that. It's time to sort of have a sort of retrenchment of this culture and rethink how do we value these investments? I'll never forget going down to D.C. when Lehman failed and I had senators and House representatives pull me in on a Sunday and say, what's a what's a credit default swap? And I and I explained it. To a few of them. All right. Got to leave it there. Matt Higgins, author of the book, Burn the Boats, and Joanne Lippman, author of the upcoming book, Next, The Power of Reinvention in Life and Work. Great conversation. A lot more to go. All right. Coming up, a little relief from this stressful day. We're going to go live from the champagne carpet as the Oscars breaks from tradition for the first time in more than 60 years. What are they doing? We'll tell you. All right, welcome back. Well, thankfully, let's end with this. Bank failures are not the only thing happening in California right now. The Oscars are almost here Sunday night. CNBC's Julia Borston joining us live. I, I guess it's no longer the red carpet in L.A. What is it, Julia? 
That's right, Brian. It's not a red carpet. They call this champagne colored. We got a sample of the carpet. It looks kind of off-white to me. But what's so interesting, Brian, is as the stars walk on this champagne carpet on Sunday night, this comes at a time of hope for the return of the theatrical movie business. Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water were both nominated for Best Picture, and they were massive hits. But there are still major concerns that the box office may never return to pre-pandemic levels. The 2022 box office was down from 2019 by a third, in part because the number of wide releases also declined by about a third. Now, that decline was in line with the fall of the number of wide releases down to 71 last year from 112 in 2019. So now the question is whether the box office will continue to grow as the number of wide releases is expected to increase this year to about 100 films. Now, there are a couple of key battles at play at this year's Academy Awards. First is the indies versus the wide releases. Indie distributor A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once is considered a frontrunner for Best Picture. This film has more nominations than any other, with 11 nominations in total, and has grossed about $107 million worldwide. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, some say Top Gun Maverick could deliver a surprise win. It has six total nominations, and it is credited with really reinvigorating the theatrical movie-going industry, bringing back older audiences, in particular to theaters. It's grossed nearly $1.5 billion worldwide. Now, the other rivalry that I'm watching this Sunday is the streamers versus the traditional studios. This year, the streamers, Netflix, Apple, and Amazon, drew a combined 19 nominations down from a total of 37 nominations last year. Netflix's All Quiet on the Western Front has the most nominations of the lot, with nine in total, including a nomination for Best Picture. But among these intense rivalries, the top 25 um, um, nominees will get a high-value gift, a gift bag. So that's one thing. Everyone goes home a winner. Brian, back over to you. Those bags are worth a lot of money. Julia Borston, good stuff. Thank you very much. All right, finally tonight, it's time for our nightcap. Very quickly, uh, this might be our last call ever because it won't end. We are still on the phone with the FDIC. Five hours, 17 minutes. Have a good weekend. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.